I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we start talking about what's coming up with KubeCon, where Kloss offers a uh, interesting and I think pertinent reflection that a lot of the talks seem to be about governance and compliance. And we have a fascinating discussion about governance and compliance in Kubernetes and then much more generally about what it takes to implement governance and compliance because they are process controls much more than individual technologies. And this idea that Kubernetes is maturing, losing the drama that is a hallmark of its first decade now and moving into, all right, how do we manage? How do we control? How do we have security and compliance and um, normalcy within an organization's use is exactly the place where a project like that needs to get. And yet, um, all of those things have a degree of tension with uh, the vendors and the users, which uh, puts uh, single choice compliance and governance um, in direct conflict with open source, competitive ecosystems. Uh, a fascinating conversation where we touch on some really important issues for the industry. I know you'll enjoy it. That's cool. My, my topic for the day was to talk about uh, KubeCon, what's going on in the in Kubernetes world. Also, I was hoping you would Help us sort of walk through that. Um, if there's if there's stuff you're you're tracking, there's. Um, but I'm I'm hoping to other other alternatives. I'm hoping to just chat too. So, but the Kubernetes the, with KubeCon coming up, I was trying to I'm trying to sort through the relative in some ways relative vacuum of news that I'm hearing. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that that. That there was there's a vacuum. It's just that uh, they've been incremental changes as opposed to revolutionary changes, which is normal, which we'd expect. Um, um, I, I suspect that, like other conferences this year, KubeCon is going to see a lot of talks about um, LLMs and AI. <laughs> um Fair. Fair. and i mean there's also a lot of kubecon adjacent activity like um like GitOps um uh, topics and, and so on that just like the like kubecon is like this big whale uh, but it's followed by a, by a school of smaller fish of related uh, uh, and adjacent events uh, that come along with it. So I think this year it would be a good year to uh, to take a look into those and, and uh, see how the these other projects are doing. That makes sense. You, I mean, the all the Terraform stuff, tofu stuff, is sort of added in at the la at the last minute. From that perspective, um, from a planning area, yeah, I, I don't know how how that's going to go. It will be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I, I have to be honest. I I really did not uh, pay attention to the KubeCon. Um, Fox, uh, line up uh, the agenda this year. Um, I, I count on you, yeah, not to go to the event, but to know if there's something interesting in the community. Because, like in the past, we've talked through like EBPF and some of some of that, which I don't feel like is getting as right. There, there's perennial topics in KubeCon that I don't, you know, I, I I'm I'm not paying as close attention. And I also feel like they're not generating the buzz that they generated, like the CRDs and like even the cross-plane stuff. I know there's still a lot of interest in cross-plane, but 
I don't feel like we're at the same place that we were, you know, last year and like backstage IO was super hot going into KubeCon last year. And like, we did a whole bunch of work on training for it. Um, but we just haven't seen the, the enthusiasm keep building. Like it's sort of peaked and people are like, Oh, this is, this is great, but a little hard to use. Um, Actually, the yeah. internal developer portals have seen a lot of interest. It's just that they've been yeah. creeping in low key. Uh, but um, mm -hmm. it was definitely one of the uh, one of the more um, more popular topics at uh, Google Cloud Next this year. Uh, well, okay. bearing AI and LLM, of course. Um, and, uh, again, there, if you look at the landscape of IDP offerings, it's, it's certainly a, a flourishing field. Oh yeah. It, the thing, what I was expecting though, like there's a ton of, of people duking it out in the IDP space. And I would actually, I think that the Terraform orchestrators, the tacos, um, sort of cross over into IDPs quite a bit with the way they're being used. I would actually suggest that some of the GitOps stuff is crossing over into IDP world at the moment. Um, but, but what I was expecting to see happen is that we would have backstage would have showed up as the open source version of an IDP and there'd be a lot of enthusiasm around that backstage, you know, is pretty hard to use and, really hard to scale um and so it's it's not and there's you know i haven't seen anybody offering it as a hosted service which is the thing you would expect with sort of an open source project to become people are building their own services for it and they're mostly hosting it so um it just it just felt like we had this conversation about IDPs, and now what we have is a whole bunch of dev portal SASs that are dev portals. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, it, it's certainly one of the um, one of the shortcomings on on on, on this. That I, I agree that there's very few hosted ones, which make it difficult to to introduce IDPs into. Again, uh, restricted or controlled environments. Um, looking at the just briefly at the, at the agenda of KubeCon, mm -hmm. like based on I'm, I'm, doing, um, I'm doing the same by the way. So yeah. we're, we're go ahead. What do you say? Yeah. Well, like the 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 uh, the breakout uh, events, so uh, the ones that do require an all access pass. Um, so I, I see ArgoCon, I see SiliumCon. Yeah. Uh, data on Kubernetes, uh, Envoy, and, and Istio. Um, and, and there's backstage there as well. So it's, yeah. So, yes. so those seem to be topics that are well and alive, given that they've been given a, like a whole day event to themselves. Um, scrolling further. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually just found, I only see one backstage event, which is by this, the Spotify people. Um, holy mm. cow, the number of sponsors they have is incredible. Yeah. That's overwhelming. Yeah. I, I see uh I see a lot of um trust related topics like multi-tenancy, multi-network, um you know, managing trust in a cloud native environment, uh secrets management. So um uh, security hub i i think that mm. uh the the overwhelming topic this year is going to be compliance interesting huh. should be that's a good you see is there i, I mean there, i only see one uh, there's two Ed ramp compliance a couple of of compliance talks like, I, like some of them might yeah. be specifically pointing out compliance but like all of these 
uh, talks are compliance adjacent. Like the, these are mm. tools with with which you achieve compliance. Good point. Apparently, it's also a big problem with the European uh, open source vendors or vendors because uh, they're strengthening the compliance requirements to the point where it's becoming difficult to uh, publish software in Europe, apparently. Hmm. That is news to I, me. I definitely see what you're talking about, though. With this, and I, it's interesting to think that the EU might be contributing to it. Are these, do you know, do they have the same, they don't have the same talks between EU and you and uh, the Americas, do they? Uh, I think, no, probably not. <laughs> okay. I'm kind of uh, torn between the two, but. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you go, Claude, do you go to KubeCon? I thought you said last week you don't. Uh, no, well, the, the the paper I was reading about the the compliance things in Europe was uh, another conference Linux something if I remember well. I read that a week ago, and um, and it's a hot topic because there's a again EU uh, mandating certain extremely difficult to uh, hmm. um, to to uh, to put in place or manage compliance requirements. Um, and obviously, everybody is uh, is all worried. Uh, I mean, small and medium enterprises were will. I mean, if we listen to the the people that are um, <clears throat> extremely pessimistic, uh, that will drive out uh, other business, small and medium software publishers. But uh, it's probably somewhat of an exaggeration. But the point is, is that compliance in general is uh, is is rising. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wait, compliance is rising? Like actual that people are doing it or just the need for it? The, the, well, the need in a sense that uh, uh, all large enterprises and governments are are expecting and requiring <laughs> sometime even before talking to you that you have this and that uh, 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 compliance uh, certification. I mean, if hmm, I, was, okay. I wanted to talk to somebody here in the bank and they say, well, until you have uh, PCI, I, we won't even talk. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> But I've got a good idea. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, the, well, PCI would be required if you were SaaS from that perspective, which makes sense. Well, yeah, yeah, but all I'm saying is that even they don't even talk if you don't even if you don't already have that. So it might it may it makes the discussion difficult in the sense that you might have an idea and you want to discuss, but if you don't have PCI for that area, you can't even talk. Yeah. It's just because it's so much on um, um, on people's mind, especially obviously in the bank is is is, is obvious. But uh, I think it's it's prowling, spreading across. Uh, I mean, everybody so, uh, here in Quebec. There's also a new law about privacy. I mean that. I mean, the minute you're a ten percent enterprise, you're you're you have to put in place uh, procedures and, and so on <laughs> Yes. Uh, and thus another another round of, of uh, web uh, accept our cookie policy um, email uh, uh, wave. But I, but yeah, I mean, the, the, what can people actually do from a governance, like it's, you know, Klaus, from your perspective, and Claude, what you're describing, I mean, is there, you know, governance is a process and procedures things, there's tooling also. I guess a lot of what I'm seeing is taking, is talking about um, how to, how to, how to better govern your Kubernetes infrastructure. Is that the, also that's what you were saying. There's behind the scenes stuff. In across these that are about improving governance and management, there is yeah, and and, and it's and it's being spearheaded not only by by the enterprises but but by the governments themselves. Like the it, 
I don't want to say it, it's a knee-jerk reaction, but it, it is a very sudden readjustment in, in that the powers that be um, have been given a... Uh, like, it, they, they understand that the status quo is way behind the optimal. And they're, they're trying to accelerate the shift to the to something that is better. Um, yeah. In, in some cases, uh, yeah. it, it does feel like a knee-jerk reaction. And, and again, it... it it's a question of well, the, the, does the policy meet the technology? Uh, but we are seeing a lot, a lot of change, and, and in many cases, a change for the good. Like, for example, take, like, compare CVSS v three, which is the current standard, to CVSS v four, uh, which is the upcoming one. Okay. CVSS v four um, puts a lot more emphasis. In, in the, the fact that the baseline scores for vulnerabilities are just that, they're baselines. But in order to use CSSV4 effectively, you have to produce your calculated scores. So, so you, you take into account your environmental factors so that you can say, well, this vulnerability has a base score of 9.8 which is terrible. But given these environmental factors, the way I'm running this workload means that it's the new score is a two. And, and that's yeah. great. It, it, it means that it is effectively mitigated. Oh, um, okay. Interesting. We see the same also in, in other compliance frameworks where they're, they're starting to take a more dynamic approach as opposed to a set of rigid rules. Because for example, like uh, as, as Claude said, like like DCI, D, uh, DSS, th those are very rigid rules. And A, they're, they're, they're terrible for the small company because they, they, like, they're starting from nothing and they need to meet those rigid rules. And they're, they're really terrible for compliance too. Because it means that they don't take into account how technology changes. And it also means that anything that falls outside of those rules doesn't even get considered. So, so, I, th I think that's so it ends up being it, like security it, theater. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a, the main point. It, it provides a false uh, sentiment of security. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because so, you only covered what is known. Yeah. So, so what what we're seeing now is that the regulatory bodies are, are are starting to understand this, and they're starting to change the rules so they're more adaptable, and they're they're, they're a they become easier to uh to to be met. Uh, B they're 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 making significant strides uh, in producing common formats. So that your documentation, you, you, your your proof uh, of meeting the the requirements is easier to produce. Like for example, the OSCAL format for um, for SSPs, yeah. um, and in in turn, the um, the the companies that are implementing things are starting to to do a lot more integration in order to give users certain guarantees that were not met before. And, and, and Google does a lot of this, uh, but so does, does Microsoft on, on Azure. Uh, so does Amazon. So it, it is a... I, I don't want to call it a paradigm shift but because that, that is a little bit extreme, but it's, it is a significant shift in, in how... Um, the the players in the field are posturing themselves. So, I mean, it, it, if if we are actually positioning and putting compliance and governance controls 
into the mix, that is a significant shift. Normally, we don't care about it. Yeah, it, it, it starts okay. to become a first-class citizen as opposed to an afterthought. Uh, yes. Is there something that people would look for for that? I mean, what does that look like? Is the, I guess, one of the... Um, you know, does that, did you understand what I what I mean? Like, are, are we talking in terms of technology, in terms of or features, or... Yeah, like, is there is there a, like, what... I mean, the idea would be you don't have to do anything to change it, but even so, if you're, if you're taking... Um, and you're not, you're talking generally, you're not specific to Kubernetes, even though we started on Kubernetes, I'm assuming. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So when somebody looks at doing an improved governance or improved compliance, does that mean that they're buying additional tools, that they're discussing process changes, that they're pushing back on vendors to have enhanced capabilities right or or moving to new new versions of the spec or the new versions of the protocol um i see it as a holistic process so so yes to all of the above okay uh but there's some flexibilities in, in, into some of these like for example um not every vendor is able to uh to produce uh like standalone compliant tooling. However, if you put their tooling into a compliant environment with appropriate controls, then it will be compliant enough. Like, for example, uh, let's say um, you're in an environment that requires um, or that, that needs to meet uh, like uh, FIPS controls. So that all the communication between your workloads is encrypted with, with certain approved ciphers. Um, now, if you're vend if you're a, as a vendor, you're producing packages or Docker images or, or, or whatever, right? Um, and you have, you don't have control over the environment, so so you, you cannot you cannot uh, necessarily guarantee FIPS compliance unless you're baking FIPS libraries, but if, for example, you run on a in a controlled environment, let's say GKE or EKS uh, with um, with a service mesh or 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 a, or a CNI that does node to node FIPS encrypted communication, then you as a vendor don't need to worry worry about it because it is enforced by the environment already. Okay. And then holding tying that all together, you need to have the appropriate documentation to to say like, okay, this is the process in which we we manage these workloads, and this is how you guarantee that it is staying within the boundary. And then you add tooling on top of that to back up your documentation. You you you, you use things like uh, CSPM, like a cloud security posture management tooling that that can analyze and, and audit your environment and tell you these these are the these are the the government's governance requirements that you need to fix to to meet these regulations or these are the controls that you have in place that that allow you to say uh, yes we are FIPS compliant. So so again it it is a it is a continuous there's, process there's, as well there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces and parts but there's also what you're describing to me almost ends up being architectural meaning yes. you, when you build the system you are you are including these requirements these controls um into yeah. into how the into how the system would go yes yeah and and, and the fact is that the cloud vendors have been making it easier to to bring in these controls uh and that in turn benefits mm. the, the software vendors because then you can say well as long as my software behaves in in, in this way uh and is put in an environment that has these capabilities 
uh, then I don't need to prove that I am compliant uh, for 90% of, of the of the required controls because they're no longer my responsibility. Oh, so and so, they so you no you, longer be your responsibility. Yeah, so so you, so you delegate the responsibility for certain controls from the software vendor to the cloud platform to the environment where, where the software okay. is. So so again, this is this becomes a lot more policy management versus um, versus software management. So in 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 a in a very similar way to to how, for oh, example, boy. you 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 maintain security inside the Kubernetes environment with something like an admission controller, which is fully policy based. Like it looks at the behavior of, of your of your workload and, and tells you uh, whether it, it falls within the accepted parameters or not, and then you can like do something about it if it doesn't, like block block it from running or or killing a pod. So, it, oh my goodness! Though, I mean, what you're describing though is an incre is an increasingly integrated platform to me. I mean, it's which is not bad. I'm just what what I'm what I'm hearing ends up being a a pattern where you have you know, more and more of these capabilities become necessary in the platform that you're depending on to run your system, which ultimately is either going to, either you're going to have to build these pieces together, do it architecturally, or they just become embedded in the cloud platform as to what you're describing. And, and your policies, I mean, maybe that's hugely differentiated from a cloud perspective. The, you know, if you go to Google and say, you know, hey, Google, I need you to enforce these governance compliance policies across my suite, and they can do it for their own. I don't I don't know how well they're doing it at the moment, but if they could do it for their own pieces, then then that would be a major win for you from a governance perspective. Yeah. 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 They, they, they do it for their own pieces. Right? For example, if, if you use their cheeky platform, you don't need to certify or, or even do a vulnerability scan on their nodes because you don't have direct access to them. It is Google's own ATO that their authorization to, to operate that, that that says that guarantees that these nodes and anything below the control plane is compliant. If you run EKS, mm -hmm. depending on, on which nodes you use, which node types. You, you may or may not fall into the same category. Like for example, Firecracker VMs, you, these, these are entirely Amazon provided. Right. Uh, however, if you run your own Ubuntu VMs, then, then you need to run your own vulnerability scanner as well. Uh, and, and get, it's a whole spectrum there. So Azure also has uh, similar tiers. Right. Um, the, what I see is that the ecosystem is becoming a lot more pluggable as well. Uh, Google is very much in their own extreme side of things in that they do extreme integration. Like they even have their, their, their own security portal, their, their, their own tooling. They're, they're, they're throwing money at the problem in, in, in terms of acquiring companies that al allow them to, to provide a, like a very, very integrated out of the box solution that that, that says okay I, I just turn this on and as long as like I'm I'm not breaking any policies it it all it's all great. Um it also costs you an arm and a leg to, to turn that on. Uh so any anyone starting into this is likely going to be uh implementing it themselves first or at least using off the shelf and in many cases, OSS uh, solutions to get there just like 80, 90% compliant. Right. Do, but, do, do, but the level of integration necessary to make that stuff work, which I mean, this is what we're reading out of the, the agenda, right? Is, is high. These aren't, these aren't built in tools. They're, 
you're you're putting all this stuff together yourself if you're doing it. Yeah, uh, and the 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 good news, and and this is what why I'm reading between the lines uh, on this agenda is that there are so many replacement parts here. Like for your for your admission controller, you you you, you got OPA, you, you got Caverno. Um, uh, what what's the third vendor? Uh, the uh, it, it, it slipped my mind, but but there's a new a new vendor that's also doing their own admission control. Okay. Um, in in terms of uh, sort of monitoring uh, on EPF EBPF type observability, you you got right. you got Falco, you got Aqua, you got a lot of different vendors Millions in there uh, yeah. jumping into that, and and it it, it is great that. Kubernetes as an ecosystem is enabling this, uh, and and it, and it's not just jumping on, on on one solution and integrating it and sticking with it, uh, because it it also means that uh, you you can use whatever tooling you want that meets your requirement. If you're a new company, mm. you, you're you're not yet operating in controlled environments. You start you can start with it with with the bare with the MVP bare minimum something that that just is sufficient to have your your customers confident that in that you're protecting your environment but then as you're starting to to move into more controlled environments whether whether that that is GDPR or FedRAMP or uh whatever other countries you can start tailoring your controls to meet the requirements and you can do it in a way where you're not stuck in a corner because you chose one particular technology because you can just replace it with something else that extends your capabilities so reusability uh, here yeah, but, is, but is this is it, but that seems it feels like we're saying two different things, though. One of them is leaning on vendors to implement an opinionated stack as a as a thing, and then you know I, I understand having an ecosystem with a lot of these options on it. None of these options are actually full stack, so you're you're back to did your Kubernetes distro of choice, you know, implement which of which of these technologies did they implement? I I have trouble navigating, like how a buyer. I, I mean, it, and this is my I. I have this dilemma as a personal thing. It's like a, having the ecosystem is really cool, and at the same time, um, navigating that ecosystem is is challenging. And then you end up falling back on, you know, uh, you know, a vendor to do that. And if they don't, they're going to make a choice, you know, based on what. What they can support, they can't support every option. Yeah. Here's, so here's the support that you were mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 the vendors are are, are certainly opinionated, uh, but they they will give you a one size fits most solution. Right. Uh, but because it is in their best interest to to target the, the largest audience. Um, I, I think that the main part here though is that, uh. Consider the choices kind of like a restaurant menu. So if you take the the integrated solution from the vendor, that's your party tray or or, or your catering menu where, where you say like okay, like I, I I just want something for that meets that or that feeds this many people, just just give it mm -hmm. to me. Right. Uh but that's a nice analogy, yeah. yeah. But if you're starting out small, like if you're just sampling, you, you can you can pick from the a la carte menu and, and start building your own dish together yourself. And it, it, it will satisfy you for as long as it needs to. And then if you're if you're happy with, with the, the tooling, if once you know what you like, what you don't like, and what you need. Then you can start looking at again the the party menu again and, and and saying, okay, like 
this choice here meets my requirements and, and it's all integrated. So it, it allows you to do that kind of transition. And the only problem with that is that once you've uh, picked something off the menu and done your own thing with it, you've got so much technical debt that you never have time to look at the catering menu. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I, I disagree with that, that yeah. but... but... I, I that is a discussion about perhaps um or, company culture and, and not so much about yeah. technology. And there there is a, a theme in Big Bang theory where all the guys uh driven by Sheldon, every Tuesday is like Chinese night, every Friday is is Mexican night, and Sheldon always has to have the same dish every time. And he won't even try something else because, oh, I don't know what that might taste like. And so there, with the amount of ADHD and autism rampant in the... Uh, technical world a lot of folks literally get to the point where they say I don't want to look at anything else I know this yeah that, and, that is definitely a, a discussion about cultural transformation uh, sorry yep, I interrupted yes. I'll let you finish yeah and and so that's actually uh, uh, a big problem uh, and that's also why some of the uh, original problems with cloud, where somebody would go out and use the cloud and IT wouldn't wouldn't support them because, well, we don't know what it'll do and, and stuff like that. So there was this whole, the, the whole uh, uh, fracture of a lot of enterprises uh, was because of some of these attitudes. So it's, it's not just culture, it's also attitude of the players, but yeah. So it is the right thing, as you're saying, you need to uh, grow your tech stack with your company. And so it's fine to go with something that doesn't scale to where you're going to be, but you need to have a strong enough uh, management stack to be able to say, it's time to look look forward and and uh move to something that fits our current needs and that's a that's a hard one in most companies um i will only partially agree with that it, it is a hard win if you take it as a management first approach like like convincing management that they need a a uh, a technological change without giving them a hands-on example is very difficult. But However, if you implement a proof of concept and put it in place and then show it to management, the majority of the time, management is going to look at it and say, why didn't we do this sooner? I, so management needs to empower their individual contributors. But as an example of one of the reasons there was so much trouble with the OpenStack is that it wasn't management saying, it's hard for developers to learn a new language. It was the individual contributors are saying that, oh, people can't learn a new language. It, they're going to stick with their old ones. And so that was an individual contributor attitude that was permeated throughout OpenStack. It was actually scary when those of us who were in management and learned multiple different languages are sitting there going, languages are easy. <laughs> so, 
So it's it's not just well, part of it is good management versus just you know uh management and part of it is in it to, uh open openness on the individual contributors uh side and those mm-hmm. two both have to be cultivated in a company to be successful in uh migrating when necessary i've yeah. seen it once or twice but i have not but the the other whether it's coming from the individual contributors or the managers uh is the more prevalent uh model at least from my experience across team collaboration is a big issue that i've seen yeah <laughs> yeah when somebody goes off and develops a poc or an mvp from an individual team and they bring it to the management the challenge becomes well, did you think about the things that are necessary for the other departments in the organization, whether it be security or operations or whoever's bringing the idea? That's the challenge I've seen is, hey, I've got this thing that looks good, but wait, did you consider these 100, 200 things? And some of the challenge with that then becomes, well, there's all this bureaucracy is slowing the organization down. It's trying to find that balance of, okay, well, yes, this is part of the process, can we get it maybe down from 200 things or 200 steps, potentially to 100? Possibly, but there are still maybe those things that just, just have to be done as part of the process that make it difficult to make that quick leap from POC and VP to let's just make leverage of this. Right. Yes. Well, oh, boy. How much of the POC work ends up being the production choices? I, I actually just saw a nice um short piece with with Kelsey Hightower talking about exactly this it's like don't overspec your production piece but also understand that remember your prototype work and your production systems are very different yes that too I think the uh, biggest challenge and the one that I've seen is you take something like a Kubernetes or a net new system and there's a, a chance that the operations folks only know about its name. They've never dug into the specifics of how it's configured. You take the same with security. Oh, I have no idea what the threat model for this looks like. Right? You can't know. Right. You I mean, don't can't know how to know. assess it. This this I think is what's interesting about this the whole the whole discussion, right? Is part of governance is controlling for that those unknown threats and you can't know, but you also know you can't leave the systems open. Um, I have a follow-up comment, but I'll, I'll, I'm interested in everybody's reaction just from that. <laughs> so a good example, I would say, um, as I continue to dig even deeper into Kubernetes from the from various lenses, is even things around uh, default network security for a Kubernetes cluster. What does that look like within the cluster? What does it look like when you cross the boundary of outside the cluster? Those are things that I would say aren't extremely prominent. Certainly the in-cluster one is, is a little more prominent, but once I need to talk to a bare metal server or a database oh, yeah. lives on a VM or a Lambda function, what does that look like? Uh, and so from a security perspective, those start to become some of those challenges of well, now I got to dig into understanding the Kubernetes constructs and concepts to wrap my head around how all that fits together. Understanding that Kubernetes networks by default are using an overlay, which is going to NAT those addresses. So a lot of the concepts I was used to using from a network mm-hmm. security standpoint, I may not necessarily be able to rely on. Yep. And that... Yeah, I was going to say that's that's where at some of the better companies I worked at, we used to talk about best of breed, but we didn't just talk about it. We would have meetings across uh, engineering organizations to have presentations of best of breeds. And then the other organizations that weren't part of that um, 
that weren't using that stack or hadn't heard about that proof of concept yet could uh, question uh, and and ask ask questions about how various things were done, which would give the presenters and the the rest of the company an idea of how much what work still needed to be done and whether it was going to be appropriate or not to be extended beyond the the individual group and stuff like things along those lines and so what martez says is really important and that's why one of the ways you have to uh to to get adoption of new stuff you need to have a presentation beyond the group that builds it to get those fresh eyes on it and i agree communication uh, is so important yeah right, but just having the architects architecturals locked down is part of the the other challenge on this um is that that's part of what what i see in this is that it's, it you know it really is a significant challenge with that yes yeah and, and that brings us back to internal developer portals like taxation whatnot because this as the as the platform team this allows you to put out opinionated recipes for infrastructure that meet your lockdown requirements while mm -hmm. still uh giving the developers a limited a la carte option for choosing what uh components they want to use oh, getting ahead of the developers here is so hard <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> it's not just the developers it, it's across the organization that comes out of different pockets because operations teams come up with an idea of a new solution or a new platform and it hasn't been vetted by everybody you see that oftentimes where hey there's this great thing well have you mm -hmm. checked with the developers in terms of how they might interact with the system well no they're just going to have to to adopt it have you checked with security and how best to secure it so it comes but, but it's it comes so, up at every some point group. you you have to have your organization in making and enforcing choices. You don't have a, you can't, you can't bypass that. Right. But you can still do the requirement specification before you pick the solution. You should. I, I, mm. I mean, the, the, my takeaway on this is that now more than ever, a DevOps culture is important for the health of the company. Because it means that the platform team is talking to the development teams and vice versa. It means that they're both talking to the management um, and that any blocker that uh, could make a solution unviable or that needs to be resolved before, um, before a, a, a platform is uh, brought into a controlled environment like you're shifting left on on discovering that but you can only do that if the teams talk to each other and yeah. if they if they know that hey i i like for example it, i like i i myself i i'm i'm a what you could call a platform engineer but mm -hmm. but the people at my company they know that they can approach me with questions and say like hey i have an idea i want to do this and then we we can talk about it and, and, and like all right what are the requirements for you to run this like i, I see a, a couple of potential routing points here but we, we can work them out so they get the benefit from my subject matter expertise i get the benefit from knowing well what is the current demand by the developers and then we, we can both work towards meeting in the middle and saying like okay uh, i i know that for the past year uh like my teams have been asking me about giving me a giving them a solution for problem x that means that i can go to my manager and tell them we might want to prioritize something that solves x right But what do you do when there's three versions of it? 
right? There's, there's, um, and that, I, that's sort of like, you know, we're looking at, at, you know, this general, we want more governance compliance. There's three ways to do it. There's four, you know, four providers in, in, in the mix on top of that, it, at least, you know, the corporate, somebody's, somebody's going to have to say, this is our choice. This is our standard. Um, we're not, I, which I don't think we're quite there yet. It would be great if there was a standard and, and nobody in Kubernetes wants to, it's not a product, it's a project wants to say, this is the way we do security. Um, I mean, I know there's, there's some efforts to create governance like OPA, which is, I think really, really important. Um, but then it's still not just built in. Um, this is the difference between right how companies build products now, open source communities build products, or which is that you know they're they're like oh we need to add this piece we don't want to make it required because we've got this base platform, but there's an element of can we just build everything into the platform please because so, nobody wants a, a, a system without security. <laughs> Yeah. Um, in my experience, there is something that will meet 99% of everyone's requirements. Um, no matter which level you're looking for. Like if you want something hands off, you, you can go to a platform that, that is fully integrated and do it for you. If you want portability, you, there is tooling that, that will do that for you. Um, if you want uh, something that um, that lets you uh, build stuff incrementally, there's definitely that. Um, it's a, yeah. So it, it's not a matter of which one of these three, four options do I pick. It's more which of these three, four options fit my current requirements the best? And, and and that is the, like the key part there is current requirements. You you don't know what your requirements are gonna be in the future, but given how these, the tooling here is is being, um, is, is, is being brought forward, we're now in, in a place where you can say, Okay, I pick something that fits my needs now. And in a year, I can pivot to the next solution. And it is mm -hmm. not going to be a start from scratch because the knowledge that I acquired from the, the solution that I use now is portable to the new solution. The rules uh, and documentation that, that I've put in place with the current solution can also be ported to the new solution. So the only thing that, that, that needs to change is certain technological aspects, which if we follow DevOps and cloud native practices are also going to be pluggable and require maybe a month or two of effort to, to replace. So, so, so that is the big win that I'm seeing these days now is that we have not only the choice, but the ability to try something out, right. see if we like it, and, and, and if and if not, move to something else. With yes, there, there's going to be some cost, but it's going to be a fraction of the cost of, of what it was taking us years ago. Like for example, shifting from a Red Hat system to to, to a, a, a Debian-based system well, would be a huge undertaking. Because different package managements, different ways of patching, uh, but shifting from one cloud provider on, on Kubernetes to a different cloud provider on Kubernetes, not it's not that bad yeah. anymore. Well, it's assuming, right, depending on your conception of the backend pieces, but yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Even if you're using very cloud-specific uh, tooling, like mm -hmm. the there is so much equivalency now between the offerings, offerings mm. that uh, 
portability like on, like unless you do, you're 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 hitting a particular edge case where um there's a solution that's only available in, in, on one cloud provider for the most part like you like you're not locking yourself in as much anymore despite the the best efforts of the cloud providers i should say <laughs> that's right that's funny all right so when people are talking about governance here oh, i'm sorry we're at <laughs> ah governance is such a hard topic okay um and we're I'm, i i didn't even realize we, we were out of time all right so the the takeaway here is governance is improving governance is getting more portable and more people are waking up to it and maybe it's because it's more portable so they, they realize they can make an investment and it's not not as narrow interesting oh i mean the, 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 there is market pressure as well like that the, the, we've seen so many compromises in, in the past years due to governance failures that there is now a strong demand for for governance and that if you don't provide governance tools you're you're the the first one out you're the weakest link i'm encouraged about that that's that would be great <laughs> oh, i i often feel like governance and and compliance and audit are are afterthoughts and tool evaluations so let's um do we have a, a specific topic to address to talk about next week just from a scheduling perspective so there's something on top of mind do we want to try and pick this back up i have no particular preference <laughs> okay i second that the yeah. the governance the the i i'm actually i'd love to get tactical on some of this but that would be great let's see if we can get um I'll I'll think about what that means, and uh, I'll spend a little bit more time with the the agenda. But Klaus, I do agree with you on the KubeCon agenda. I think you have a your your take on it was spot on. Cool. All right, everybody. I appreciate your time. Be, before you go, I don't know across. if anybody yeah. saw this, but um, uh, one of the bigwigs at HashiCorp is flaming against uh, the Linux Foundation because these uh, foundations take on these projects, which mean that the big corporations can then take the open source and sell it for less than the companies that developed it. Is that the, the rant about him predicting that Silicon Valley will be OSS less in, in the future? Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Yep. I'd be I'd be happy to to cover that one in our in our intro in our fifteen minute intro time in the next next one. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just uh, wanted to point out that that was going on. It's it is it's an interesting take. Uh, also, the the Kubernetes on the SR seventy one Dragon Lady is a, a a very interesting read. Hmm. It's a short read. It doesn't go into too much detail. It doesn't really go into detail, but it goes into enough to say cool stuff. Okay. Okay. Thanks, mm. guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Rocky. Thanks, Rob. Yep. Cheers. Yeah, wow, this is a really fascinating discussion. And one of those that requires multiple points of view, which requires pushing back and actually examining the fact that the very essence of governance and compliance is at odds with some of what we're trying to accomplish with vendor autonomy and choice and project, open source project governance. So this is something that we will be coming back to and uh, we will have a lot 
of fascinating conversations. I hope you choose to join us in them at the 2030.cloud. You can see our schedule, our Zoom links. Uh, we, we meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. This was a Tuesday tactical conversation, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.